All right, well, here we go. Um, we'll start out with uh, an interesting quote that maybe some of you have, have heard before. Have you heard the, the phrase or the line, uh, give the boy a hammer and everything is a nail? Anybody ever heard that, right? Um, well, even if you haven't, like, you can kind of get the idea. Uh, if the only tool that I have is a hammer, well, then that's what I use on, on everything, right? And, and um, I was probably, I don't know, three or four years old. My parents had friends who had a farm outside of the little Minnesota town that we lived in, and we planted a garden out there, so we'd go out there every once in a while, and I was, I was little. They'd be messing with the garden and doing stuff, and so uh, they wanted to keep the little guy, me, keep me busy, because, you know, if I helped weeds sometime, I'd pull up, you know, actual carrots, thinking those were weeds, or, you know, the plants, so they tried to, you know, keep me busy doing other things, and so um, the story that I've heard told, and I have a faint memory of is being given a hammer and shown how to pound nails. And, um, and that's what I learned to do that day. One day when they wanted to keep me busy, I just pounding nails. And apparently it was pretty funny for the adults because for years, I think I heard this story even uh, at my high school graduation, for years I heard the story from, the guy's name was Mike that uh, owned the farm. He would tell the story about how he remembered little Doug just very focused, pounding like a hundred times on each nail because I was very determined to get it in without bending it or, you know, hitting my thumb. Um, and all I had was a hammer back in that day. All I had was a hammer, so I officially considered myself, at that time, age of three, a handyman. Thank you for laughing, because we all know that's not true today, right? But, you know, give the boy a hammer, and the whole world is a nail. Well, there's another story about another three-year-old. Um, when I was in junior high, one of my friends, his little brother uh, was three, they lived on a farm, and they decided they were going to keep little Ben busy. Apparently this is a thing on farms, you give the boy a hammer and teach him how to pound, right? So they were going to do some repairs, and they wanted little Ben to feel useful, so they gave him some nails and a hammer to go pound in the fence, and all he had, again, was a hammer, but now he felt involved, he could fix things. In fact, he loved this thing so much that a few days later, Little Ben decided to grab the hammer, go out to the garage, and fix the headlights on their cars. Both cars, yeah. There you go, give the boy a hammer, and the whole world is a nail. Uh, when I went to Bible college, I was this young, energetic guy. I figured, you know, um, zealous youth pastor and student. I figured that no matter what the question was, no matter what the problem was, everything just needed, you know, more Bible or more spiritual discipline, and, and any issue that people faced, I thought at that time, was at its core a spiritual problem, and we just needed to throw a spiritual or supernatural solution at it. That was my imagined tool. But then, thankfully, at Bible College, I, I took some classes with a brilliant professor of psychology, and, um, and then I begun to, began to realize, oh, wait, Christians can use natural tools as well as supernatural ones. And so, yeah, sometimes we need that supernatural, spiritual approach, but sometimes we might need a natural, a physical, or even in that case, like a mental health counseling approach. And it was kind of this, you know, dawned on me, like, whoa, wait a minute, I knew all about the supernatural solutions, and, and I know I got a spiritual hammer and a nail, um, but it's actually okay for Christians to use, like, other tools, like natural tools, as well, 
And I discovered, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that today, sometimes we limit ourselves, and maybe today it's the other way around for us. Um, we have categories about what can help us move forward in life. And, and, and I think that the categories that we operate with can keep us stuck, actually. If we eliminate categories like the supernatural or the natural, if we eliminate categories like that, we can be stuck. We can not maybe experience healing or growth or some breakthrough. And if we just limit ourselves to one category, supernatural or the other, natural, uh, I think that can actually close us off to healing sometimes. And the two categories I've alluded to already that, that I want to compare in the talk today are, are natural categories and supernatural categories. And then within the natural category, there's there's tools. Um, there's scientific tools in the natural. There's medical tools. There's psychological tools. All very good tools. And over here in the supernatural category um, includes tools like healing or maybe deliverance, things that are more in that spiritual supernatural realm. And I think when we think about these two categories and we look at most of the people like us modern Westerners today, we're a little more scientific, so mostly we tend to live in that, you know, natural category using those tools. So when I have a physical problem, the first thing I think of is a medical solution, like if I'm sick, then let's get a doctor, let's see the doctor, let's get some medicine, and by the way, I do believe strongly in medicine and doctors, I think that God has gifted people to help us through those things, so I think that's a good thing, right? Um, but I do think that oftentimes that the only category we have, the only tool in our toolbox often is kind of that, you know, natural side, the scientific side of things. And um, again, that can be helpful or good, right? So for anxiety or depression, um, we tend to move immediately to a psychological solution to counseling, which again, I think is really good. Like I believe in counseling. I regularly go to a therapist to stay on top of my mental health. I completely believe in that. Um, so that natural category, that scientific category, it's really important. But the question I want to press on a little bit with us today is, well, is that our only category? Is that the only category we have? Do we just stop right there and look at nothing other than that? See, I think that oftentimes um, we tend to just operate from the category of the natural. But when we look at our study today that we're about to pick up again with the book of Luke in our series, Jesus for Everyone, we look at this study today, this next set of verses, we're going to see that, that Jesus actually knew and highlighted that this supernatural category was important, was crucial. And he actually had some different tools that he applied to those situations. And so I'm just, as we look through this next passage of scripture, I just started to wonder, like, how might it be that we, who are followers of Jesus, um, how might we consider how maybe that supernatural category could impact our life? Like, like being open to the supernatural part of, of reality, what might that do for our spiritual growth? Um, what might that do to maybe help us work through some things that maybe we're stuck on? Um, and if we're aware of the supernatural side just a little more, 
what might that do in our own prayer life? Like, how might we pray differently for ourselves or others if we operate from both the natural and the supernatural category? So, we're going to focus here on verses, um, we're in Luke 4, we're going to focus on uh, verse 31 to 41. But how I want to start, before we get there, we've been in Luke 4, and I want to back up and have us read out loud together uh, earlier in the chapter, where we spent quite a bit of time earlier, um, uh, the, the, the prophecy that Jesus started his ministry with. And as we read this out loud together, remember, in this passage, Jesus is giving us his mission statement. This is the reason he announced that he has come. Luke 4, verse 18 and uh, 19, let's read together out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now again, this is the mission statement of Jesus. Why did he come? To bring Good news to the poor, to the outcasts, um, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the prisoners, to heal blind eyes and set free the oppressed, to proclaim that the grace and favor of God is here now, that grace is available for all. He's proclaiming restoration, restoration, that's his mission. And for the rest of the book of Luke, and as we'll see throughout this year, we're going to see Jesus doing all that stuff, right? He's going to do healing and freeing, freeing people, and, 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 and we're going to see deliverances, and we're going to see Jesus doing that and bringing his restoration to this planet, to people here on earth. So we'll now pick up here. Um, verse 30 of the passage is where we ended before, where Jesus got, you know, run out of Nazareth. And here we go, Luke 4, verse 31 is the next section we're going to be studying, and here we go. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. I just want to pause there for a minute because this is fascinating. Remember, again, if you've been reading along or studying with us, he gets run out of his hometown synagogue, Nazareth, um, and so this means, if he's in Capernaum, that he walked for a day or two to another town in the region, and he goes again on the Sabbath and teaches in the synagogue, and I, I think this is so important to notice that Jesus taught the people, and they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority, authority. Now, that word there, authority, um, had to do with a rabbi's authority. And a rabbi was a teacher, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue as a rabbi would. And, and what would happen, um, it was just commonplace there, is a Jewish rabbi would come, and they would teach on the scripture that they would read, and then they would offer an interpretation of that scripture. And that was their authority that they would speak with. And a rabbi's authority was based on the school that the rabbi came from, or the, the line of rabbis before who they've learned all this from. So like today, you know, we might say, um, you know, Pastor Dwayne teaches it this way, and that's where our authority would come from, like down the line of rabbis in that direction. And that's, based, that's the authority we'd base our teaching on. But... It's not so with Jesus. With Jesus, he wasn't 
teaching what he had based, uh, learned based on a, on a rabbi school. His words had authority, it says. Uh, Mark Charles says, Jesus didn't talk like someone who studied scripture. He talked like someone who wrote it. And that blew people's minds. It did. They were shocked that his authority didn't come from some school of whatever. Like His authority was be pointing to actually who he was, and they were blown away. Now, we'll read the next verse here, and we're going to see the authority of Jesus revealed in ways that go simply beyond his powerful, amazing teaching. Verse 33 says, In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, by an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are? With authority, there's that word again, with authority he, and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And news about him spread through the surrounding area. And we'll just pause again here like, wow, did you see that part here where the demon somehow also recognizes not just that Jesus has authority, but um, he recognizes who Jesus is. He speaks through the man, the demon does, and says, go away. What do you want with us? So plural. What do you want with us, the demon speaking through the man? What do you want, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, you'll notice several times for a long time, actually for many years here, Jesus is going to quiet down those kinds of claims because it's not yet time for him to be known that way. He's on a mission of restoration in words and action, so he's just getting started. You'll see him kind of quiet those little claims other people make down for now or tell them not to go tell anybody they've been healed or who did it, right? Because he's just getting started. So here he tells the foul spirit to just shut up, come out of the man, and it does. Bang, like that. The man is freed. See, Jesus has the authority to heal and to free. People are blown away. See, within Judaism, it was very common for there to be exorcisms. There was, you know, people who performed exorcisms. There was kind of generally this long ritualistic thing that they would have to do, you know, incantations and, and maybe some incense or candles. And, and oftentimes, uh, exorcists, charged a great deal of money to cast out demons. But right here with Jesus, it's very different. He casts out demons with a simple command. It's un unlike the long, you know, involved kind of hocus-pocus methods used for exorcisms by others, Jesus simply speaks, tells the impure spirit to be silent, tells it to come out, and it's done. It's not this long, protracted situation that, you know, embarrasses the possessed person. Jesus just told the spirits to go, and they went. And that was what astonished the people. Because they'd seen this done other ways, but Jesus didn't have to, you know, conjure up other powers. He just used the authority that he already had. And by the way, since we're on this, um, I don't have to, time to go deep into it, but, but if you, if you are a follower of Jesus, a child of God... You also have been given the authority of Jesus to cast out demons and to tell foul spirits to get out. And so if you ever come across something like this, if you're a Christian, you don't have to freak out. If you're not, like, I wouldn't recommend 
you know, trying to engage with it. But if you're a follower of Jesus um, and you see something that's going on that you're like, I think this is a spiritual warfare kind of thing, all you have to do, you don't have to be afraid, you just say, hey, get out in the name of Jesus. Um, and by the way, sometimes it takes a longer process of deliverance if something happens like that, but not always. I, I just say, hey, listen, if you come across something like this, um, you don't have to be afraid, right? Just try simple first, right? Um, just try the simple thing first. I remember when I first came to Hope, a family that's now moved, um, but their daughter was having nightmares all the time. It went on for months, and they asked if I would come over and just kind of pray over the house. And so I went over, but what I did is I just showed them how to pray over their own house, to just take the authority of Jesus and pray over their house. Well, I didn't see them for a couple weeks, and then um, I did finally see them, maybe a month or so later, and I said, hey, how's that going? Because I had told them, if, it, you know, if you're still having whatever go on, then just give me a call and we'll do something more involved. And, and they were like, oh, yeah, her nightmares are gone. Like, it's, they prayed through the house after I left, and her nightmares were gone, and I checked in with them a few months later, and they never came back. See, it was just try something simple. Try simple when that stuff happens, right? Just try it simple. Something happens in the middle of the night, and you're not sure if it feels dark. Just try the simple thing. All right, let me slide back into this uh, text here. But again, let me remind you, first of all, why this even piece is so important in the story of Luke with the, with the guy getting set free from a demon. Um, it's a reminder of why Jesus came, why he proclaimed earlier in the chapter that he came, right? He came as good news for the poor, for the outcast, check. That's true in this case, right? To heal the brokenhearted, check. <laughs> to bring freedom to prisoners, check. That applies to this guy that he delivered. Um, to heal and set free the oppressed, check and check. See, the demon-possessed man in this story wasn't just a cool story. Um, it was to show that he experienced restoration. And Luke is trying to tell us that that restoration that happened had something to do with Jesus' authority. So let's keep reading and see what else we have here. Next verse, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue. He went to the home of Simon. And now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked. Now that word's appeared in here somewhere, right? He rebuked the fever, and it left. She got up at once and began to wait on them, right? So just we'll pause here. Jesus goes over to... Simon's house, his mother-in-law is sick with a high fever, and the word Luke uses for fever, high fever, is actually a medical term, which makes sense because Luke, the author of this gospel, he is a physician, and so I think he wants us to know this is a medical condition. And while I'm sure that, that Luke, as a doctor, had a scientific or natural medical remedy that they could try even back in those ancient times, I think, again, it's so important to notice he uses medical language, says she has a high fever. And then Luke specifically says that Jesus rebukes the fever and it left her. And again, he rebukes it. He treats it just like he did the foul spirit with the man at the synagogue. He says, get out, go. And I, can't, I think this here just clues us in to something else about a category of supernatural that we want to be aware of. Um, and that's that sometimes healing, sometimes freedom is tied to something that needs to be rebuked. And so the authority of Jesus is brought in 
And whatever has to be, you know, rebuked or cast out, it has to go. It has to leave. So sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, healing is tied to something that needs to be rebuked, to this kind of warfare category, right? And other times, as we're about to see in this next part of the story, Jesus simply lays hands on people and heals them. So sometimes that does the trick. Sometimes it's a healing that way. Sometimes there's something else involved, right? It's a category for us to be aware of when we are praying for healing for ourselves or others. So here we go, verse uh, 40 here. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Suddenly, people hear that. They come to the house looking for healing. Um, it says, verse 40, at sunset. So it's been a long day for Jesus. The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, Weird one here. Demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. And again, you just look at that passage and it says Jesus lays hands on them and he healed them all, which is amazing. And no wonder there was a line out the door and people were coming from all over the place. And then the next verse, um, at the same time, Some of the people who are brought to Jesus, ostensibly for healing, have demons come out of them. And it's just like, what? What? And I just, like, listen, this whole thing sounds so strange, doesn't it? Like, I just have to admit, like, when I realized that this Sunday was the week after Easter and we're jumping back into the next passage of our study of Luke, I was like, really, God? Like, this is so weird. This is such a weird, strange passage. We don't want to sound weird. Um, can we, like, do something different? Um, but this is how we've chosen to move through teaching the Bible around here. We just do the next set of verses, and we try to look for God to teach us through those verses to awaken us up to maybe some other things going on in our story through the story of Scripture. And then we take these messages and the stuff we've looked at on Sunday morning, we take them to our small groups, and we go deeper, and we wrestle through these questions of following Jesus together, even when the passage of Scripture seems kind of weird. That's just how we do discipleship around here. So that's the passage for this morning, those 10, 11 verses. And I just want to sum up three takeaways from this section of Luke 4 today. First one is this. I want us to remember that there are categories of natural and supernatural. Natural and supernatural. Uh, Greg Boyd says, shoot in two directions. Like, shoot both ways, the natural and the supernatural. Go after both of them. Because sometimes sickness is just, it's just physical illness. It's a natural thing. And sometimes there's an element of spiritual oppression involved in the supernatural category Which is why I encourage people that whenever you're dealing with or praying for some kind of illness or sickness, cover both categories, like the natural and the supernatural, and that's why we have more than one tool to go after something. Like, listen, sometimes a headache is just a headache. You just aim at it, natural, physical, you know, take an aspirin, see if it works, right? But then also, while you're doing that approach, you can pray the authority of Jesus over the supernatural element that might be harassment from the enemy or dark forces connected to that headache to bring discouragement or whatever. Like, just cover it. You don't have to be weird about it. Just just cover it. Um, We treat that natural, physical realm 
Anything that's in play in that natural physical realm, the chemical imbalances or diet or stress, like we deal with the natural issues, and we also want to bring the authority of Jesus over it to shoot at that supernatural realm in case there's some kind of spiritual harassment that's happening. Um, and just example, you could pray. It would look like this, maybe praying something like, Jesus, if there's anything in the supernatural realm that's intensifying this illness or whatever it is you're praying about, um, there's anything in the spiritual realm that's causing this, I proclaim the authority of Jesus over it, and I say sickness or headache or you know, rebuke whatever's harassing someone, get out in Jesus' name. And again, because we're modern Western folks uh, that don't really operate in that category, it just can sound really strange, and I totally get it. But I'm just wondering, from what we see Jesus teach us all through Scripture, um, if we might not see more healing occur more frequently if we at least develop that category and wonder if that's a piece going on there. Um, and that's why I say it's always wise to shoot in two directions, because we don't know if there might be, in fact, a spiritual um, cause of what's happening or, or, or a supernatural spiritual intensification um, that's happening in the middle of whatever you're praying for for someone. And again, even when I say that, I want to say, listen, also remember, sometimes it is. It's just a natural physical thing, right? Um, like I used to get migraines all the time, sometimes two or three days a week. They were miserable. Some medications would help, um, maybe just to kind of take the edge off, which, you know, was a huge improvement, but not what I was hoping for. Um, I often had people pray healing over me. We covered the spiritual warfare stuff, but we hit it on all fronts using natural and supernatural tools, but that wasn't doing anything. And it turns out, for me, that a new medication came out that actually helps me a ton, right? So now I take a shot every month, and it knocks my migraines down considerably. Sometimes I have none, sometimes one or two a month, but that's a huge improvement. So I'm glad, in that case, that there was, you know, a natural scientific remedy to what is most likely a natural condition. So sometimes, right, it's just a physical deal. We pray both ways, and it turns out to be a physical deal. Um, but there's other times here at church where we have prayed for people with migraines, and bang, like, it's gone. Like, miraculously, like, gone. Um, but not every time, because sometimes we pray for people, we pray for the migraine to go away, you know, we shoot both ways at the <laughs> supernatural side of things too, and, and nothing changes, you know, that person has to go take medicine or lay down or rest, because there's just no guarantee, right? There's no guarantee with, with all this stuff. And I think that that's a huge problem for many of us. Like, I don't know about you, but I kind of want a formula, right? I want to guarantee that if I pray or pray this way, something will happen, a tool. I want a tool that works every time. Um, but how many of you know that even in the physical, natural realm, sometimes things work, and sometimes things don't work, right? So it's the same in the spiritual, supernatural realm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I know that we can get discouraged when it doesn't, and we pray and we ask, and we want to kind of give up, we can get discouraged, or we can keep asking. Give up or keep asking. And I want to encourage you, instead of giving up, um, to keep asking, right? To keep asking. Because deep in us, um, when there's maybe something that we're going through, um, and we're just wondering if maybe God would bring healing, 
there is an ache that just wishes it would be true, and sometimes it hurts too much to open up and wonder if maybe God would remedy this answer to prayer, whether it's a physical um, illness or a family member who's lost or a relationship that just seems hopeless. It's hard to keep asking because of that disappointment, that disillusionment. Um, but again, I want to encourage you to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. All right, so of the three things, I'll move quicker on the last two. There are categories. The first one, categories of natural and supernatural. And let's be sure to shoot both ways when we pray for people or even notice things in our life. Second thing is to notice this, that the authority of Jesus still matters. So Jesus teaches with authority, and when he brings healing and deliverance, he's operating in authority. He's setting captives free. He's bringing healing and freedom to the oppressed. It's part of his ministry of restoration. Jesus did it back then, and, and he wants to do it today, too. He wants to do it today. Only now, today, you and I are his partners in bringing restoration. Jesus has given us, Scripture teaches, his authority now, and we get to do the same things Jesus did. That means you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you get to speak with the authority of Jesus by using the name of Jesus to command sickness and darkness to leave, to go. Like you can bring the name of Jesus over anything that's being used by the enemy to, to harass you or to harass those who are around you. So I'm just saying, give it a try. Like, try it out. Pray for healing and bring the authority of Jesus over any supernaturally influenced sickness or anything in that realm that might be going on. Because the authority of Jesus sets people free. And be okay with knowing that we don't always know um, what is supernatural, what is natural, and how it overlaps. So, so again, number one, shoot both ways, both directions. And number two, lean into the authority of Jesus. And the last takeaway is an invitation. I want to invite you to notice, even while I bring this teaching, um, which to me almost feels out of left field because of where we've been in the text, but it's not, and it's told that way intentionally by Luke, so it's not really out of left field. Um, but when we talk about this kind of stuff, notice what rises up in you when themes like deliverance or supernatural healing come into play. Are you curious? Are you skeptical? If you've seen people handle the supernatural realm kind of poorly or turn it into a circus sideshow, can you separate that from the authentic work that God would do? Because it's not all a weird circus sideshow. And even if it does sound a little odd, wouldn't you be willing to at least open yourself up and see if God would set someone free? Would it be worth it then? Because we don't want to be weird. We do want to see, we do want to see people set free. Amen? Yeah. So again, just notice your reaction when you read stories in the Bible or hear stories from people about healing or deliverance, what rises up in you? Is, there, is it hope? Is it skepticism? Is it fear or doubt, frustration or anger? It's worth paying attention to. You don't have to judge it or try to force it out, right? It's okay. Jesus knows anyway. But let's not allow our disappointment or frustration to keep us from asking for healing no matter what the outcome is. 
Because I think it's important that we don't try to get people to fake or pretend or crank up a whole bunch of faith. They think they got to do all this stuff to see healing. Um, that's not helpful. It's nonsense. We've talked about that here before. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do that when we pray for healing. Um, it's okay to come to Jesus admitting how much we are confused or hopeful, right? It's like the guy that comes to Jesus wanting his son to be healed and says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And help my unbelief, right? It's, it's a mixed bag. Jesus has compassion. He understands. He's not waiting for us to get it together before he'll bring healing. He wants to bring his restoration. He loves and accepts you as you are. So we don't always understand why someone does or doesn't get healed, but we want to keep asking anyway. All right, here's how we're going to close. Um, I'm going to have you come. Um, we're going to hear a story uh, about healing. Um, second service gets a bonus story, but you're going to hear a story about healing right now. Uh, and if you're someone here that does actually believe in the power healing of God, I just want you to pray right now as, you hear, as we hear this story and just ask the Holy Spirit uh, to move in the room. Um, even as you hear this story, will you guys welcome Liz? Hello. The story doesn't make me look very good, so I'll start with I'll start with that. I was living in Kenya in 2010, and our team got invited by a church planter out in the bush to come help. They wanted to plan a crusade to invite their region to come out to this newly planted church in the middle of nowhere. And the only thing that this town was really known for was it had a huge rock quarry in the center of it. And so there was these massive trucks that would make their way into the town with a bunch of just day workers. Um, and they would, they would mine and they would get rocks all day. And what happened around this rock quarry was, of course, there was this little downtown of huts that popped up. So uh, the town became full of women and children because of these day workers. And so we, our team, took a van out there for the day to invite uh, the people to come to this crusade that this church was plan uh, planning for that weekend. And of course, our van pulls up and there's hundreds of kids that come chasing after the van. And we get out of the van and we divide into teams and to go around to each individual hut. And there was a woman standing there holding her six-year-old son in her arms who was born blind. And he had scales and crusts all over his eyes. And so we split up into teams, and our team leader at the time said, you know, I'll stay back in this village with a couple of our teammates and, when we and pray over this mom and little Simon. And so we went out for a couple of hours that day hut to hut, and we came back, and my leader was sitting on the floor with Simon in her lap, and there was a crowd of about 50 people that had drawn to watch what was happening. And his face was covered in mud, and she was spitting into her hands and rubbing on her eyes. A huge spectacle, right? It felt like a circus show. It felt like this is the very thing we came here not to do. He's clearly not healed. Five hours later, you're still praying for him. Come on. We're doing more damage to this community at this point. And so we left that day. Simon was not 
healed. Went back to our campsite and we're sitting around the fire that evening and your, your girl here, Liz, was pretty angry. And so I vocalized it to my team and said, hey, that was a mess today. That was a mess. And the next day, we went out to the same little downtown area of this village, and again, all the kids come running up to our van. And Patrice, our team leader, said, is that Simon running with all the kids? And I was like, well, he's wearing the same clothes, but no way. And so we get out of the van, and there's hundreds of people that had gathered because that evening the skills had literally fallen off Simon's eyes. And he was healed in Jesus' name. And I had a moment of, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Like this, of course God was going to do something that evening in the quiet place with Simon. And the mom in the whole village wanted to know about this Jesus, and we were able to invite them to this church that weekend that we didn't even fit in the church. We ended up having to do it outside because this whole entire crowd was like, what happened? We've seen that kid blind from birth, and now he's six, and he's running, playing soccer with friends. And that's the miraculous power of, of healing and also a moment of, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Awesome. Thank you, Liz. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Worship team, will you come? And today, um, we're going to close a little bit differently than we do instead of a, a song and then a response time and a dismiss. What we're going to do is in just a couple minutes here, um, I'm just going to invite you to go ahead and dismiss um, when, you are, when you're ready. Um, and I'll pray and then I'll do a clear dismissal here. Um, but those of you that want to receive prayer for healing or something else, we're just going to invite you to, uh, this week, instead of going to the prayer team, just stay in your seat. We're just going to have you stay right in your seat, and uh, we are going to have some prayer team. In fact, prayer team, will you guys uh, head, <coughs> head over to the sidewalls here, um, and we'll come and pray for you where you're at. So you don't even have to go anywhere this week if you want prayer for anything uh, at all. Um, and so the question is, where do you need healing? Where do you need freedom? Where do you need healing or freedom? And maybe whew, I get this one, like that area of healing. Oh, it's been just too long. You've had this thing over and over and over. You've had it prayed for a hundred times. Or maybe you think, well, that's just so small. Why would I bother with asking for healing for that? Um, okay, but let's just ask Jesus. Because maybe today's your day. <clears throat> Or maybe there's an area of freedom that you really long for. And maybe there's something that's some darkness that's kind of hanging over it. Um, maybe you just need a touch from God. And so again, um, I'm going to pray and dismiss. And those of you um, that want prayer, just stay in your seat as everybody else heads out to the lobby and, and they'll visit out there. And, um, and we'll stay behind here and pray here in this room. And if you do ask for prayer, um, um, you know, there's a couple ways to pray, but we're going to go with the keep it simple route for post-service prayer because um, we can always set up a time and pray longer, but let's just, let's just try something simple. So whatever it is that you need prayer for, just have a sentence that you'll say to the prayer person, just a quick, you don't have to tell them a whole story, just say the sentence, what it is. 
Uh, and then they're going to pray, and they're going to pray pretty short as well. Um, and they may take a couple runs at it um, and speak the authority of Jesus over any element of it that would be, you know, harassment from the enemy. And, and then just pray for God to bless you. So, again, stay in your seat if you want prayer. I'm going to pray. And then as the band begins to sing, y'all can head on out um, or stay for prayer. So, Jesus, we thank you that you're good. Thank you, Jesus, that you have all authority over all things, over the natural and supernatural realm of this world, that none of it's too hard for you, Jesus. And so I pray uh, the power of your Holy Spirit right now would be present in the room, and that you would give us courage, knowing that ultimately it doesn't depend on our strong enough belief because you come to us as we are and you come with your grace, your goodness, your healing and your wholeness. So Jesus, now in this next little time of prayer, I do ask that you would move in power. And for the rest of the Hope family, as they go into their week, may they look for the realm of the natural and the supernatural and learn to operate in, in both and to be aware as we follow you, Jesus, that there's more going on than just what we see with our eyes. But there's nothing to fear because you are with us. You're ready for prayer. Just hang where you are. The rest are ready to go. God bless you. We will see you next week.